We're going to begin uh, this year by looking at one, I believe, of the most important truths that we have in Scripture. It's concerning our identification with Jesus Christ and what that all means. Now, last time, last year, we be, uh, began looking at this um, section uh, we call sanctification, how to have victory over sin. The first part, of course, was salvation, how we are saved uh, from the judgment of sin. That's the first section of the book of Romans, Romans 1 through 5. Now we come to this section that is called sanctification, how to have victory over sin, chapter 6 and 7. And as I said, this is a tremendous passage of the Word of God, one of the most important for Christian growth. It is also one of the most difficult to understand, especially when we come to chapter 7. Uh, but now, what I'm going to do right now is to go quickly as a review over the first four or five slides, because this is what we covered last year. But just as a way of uh, stirring up your pure minds by way of remembrance, we'll go through it. So you should already have filled in the blanks in your notes. Okay. By the way, if there's anyone who, who does not have notes um, for this section, we have a few of them uh, under the uh, prayer sheets over there. So that's the notes from last time. All right. We say here, having just emphatically stated that where sin abounds, grace abounds much more, to show that God's grace is more than able to save anyone regardless of their past or present condition, Paul proceeds to answer an anticipated question from the rationalists to show that a true believer cannot make a conscious decision to continue living a sinful life because of the simple but profound fact that the believer is dead to such a lifestyle because not only has Christ delivered us from the penalty of sin, that's the chapters we've already covered, but his death has also delivered us from the power of sin. We must know and apply these, these truths. He begins by explaining the necessity of knowing the significance of the death of Christ as it relates to the believer. This is a passage of Scripture that bases um, our application of it upon our understanding of it. Now, of course, that's a simple thing to say, and it's actually a rational thing to say. You cannot apply something if you don't understand it. However, this truth here of identification with Christ is one we must know, but it does not only touch the intellect, it touches our emotions, our faith, entire being. And that's why this one here is something that you must understand that no one can teach you. This is taught by the Spirit of God, really, because it's only after you understand it through the illumination of the Spirit of God, you're going to be able to apply it to your life. Many people understand it intellectually, but they do not experience it, you see, because it goes beyond the intellect to the, to the faith of the individual, trust in God. We'll see that as we go on. In verses 1 through 11 of this chapter 6, the significance of the death of Christ is stated for the believer. First, they share his death positionally. Now, when we say positionally, we mean it's a fact, even though you don't believe it, even though you don't experience, it's still there. That's a position, all right? Even if you don't like it, it's still true. All right, that's the point. It is a fact. The believer died with Christ. His death is our death. All right? Now, I know you've heard these things, but it's important for us to understand the significance of applying what we understand. The believer died with Christ. What does that mean? His death is ours. What does that mean? Paul states the truth in verses 1 through 2. Please read that, uh, those verses for me. 1 and 2. What shall we say? 
See the truth that is stated. We died to sin. That's it. Therefore, if that is true, how can we live in sin? How can we go on sinning if we died to it? That's what Paul is trying to explain. And we stay here. This is a revolutionary statement. God regards the believer as being dead to the power and promptings of sin. Now, think of death as being separated from the power or influence of something. It is impossible, Paul is saying, for a genuine believer in Christ to go on practicing sin in his life. Not even if it were to magnify the grace of God. Because some people, believe it or not, were saying, well, if grace abounds, if grace abounds much more where sin abounds, then the more we sin, the more we honor God. And they wanted to see that as a license. Paul said, that's foolish thinking. A true believer does not think along those lines. Because living in sin and being dead to it are diametrically opposed. You can't have both. You have to have one or the other. God's grace never allows or enables a person to go on living in a sinful state or practicing a sinful lifestyle. Paul says the reason why this is so is because the believer is dead to the influence, the control, and power of sin in his life. He is separated from that. And so it's impossible to go on living in it. You might fall occasionally, but it cannot be a way of life. All right? And we gave that illustration about a deacon who was a thorn in the pastor's side for ten years, but he never let it bother him. And when he's asked why, how could he do it? He says, because I died to him five years ago. He doesn't have any more influence on me. You see, couldn't respond to it. No, the stimulus didn't provoke a response. And he applies the truth now in verses 3 to 5. Please read those verses. Now, talk about a revolutionary statement. This is it. Talk about a statement that is pregnant with meaning. This is it. This is a passage that you should read over and over and pray over it and over and, and asking the Spirit of God to illuminate your soul, your mind as you read it. Notice, Paul expects believers to know or apprehend this truth. It is an essential part of our Christian experience. We should know this. We should know this truth. That all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Now this goes beyond just believing in the death for your salvation. This goes beyond that. You see? This goes, just talking uh, to, um, uh, what's your husband's name? Mark. And he was talking about basics, the importance of knowing the basics before you can go on to the advance. Because he says, you don't understand half of what I say. You see? And he's stating a profound truth. Unless you know the basics, you're not going to be able to understand some of the more advanced stuff. That's why we have to see the Christian growth, as, uh, the Christian life as one of growth. This is truth that goes beyond the basic truth of salvation based on the death of Christ. Something else is based on the death of Christ. Not only are we free from the penalty of sin, we are also free from the power of sin. You see? And this is what he's trying to teach us now. And he gives us an illustration of what he means. He says, we were baptized, united with Christ in his death. Now, it's important, and I did this last time, so I won't spend too much time here, to understand what baptized, the word baptized here, baptism means. You see? It has the idea of identification with. An identification that changes the person's former status into a new one because of that experience of baptism. It's a word, baptismo, that was used for the dying of goods. You take 
a white piece of cloth and you would baptize it into red dye, a hot boiling water with red dye. And that baptism into that red dye changes the color, the whole appearance, the nature, if you want, of that. When you take it out, it's not white any longer, it's red. You see, that's what he's trying to say. Once we've been baptized, we are not what we were before that event happened. And he's trying to show you that's how we were identified with the death of Christ. His death becomes our death, is what he's saying here. All right? Uh, he says, it's the introduction or placing of a person or thing into a new environment or into a union with someone else so as to alter its condition or its relationship to its previous environment or condition. Now, you have to believe this, as Paul is saying. You have to, because that's what happened. That's what happened when you were baptized into the death of Christ. Paul uses this word to describe the act by which God introduces a believing sinner into a vital and essential union with Jesus Christ, altering the sinner's condition and relationship with regard to his previous state and condition and placing him in a new environment, in Christ and in the kingdom of God. In this state, the believer takes as his own the death the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's going to say that everything that happened to Jesus Christ happened to us. Now, you know, that's something to say. But do you understand it? Do you believe it? You see, that's what Paul is getting at here. Um, Paul wants us to know that we should know this situation. We must know that if we are going to be victorious Christians, in other words, if we are truly going to be victorious over sin in life, we have to know this truth. Because our victory depends upon the knowledge of this truth. You see. But then he gives another illustration, not only baptized. He says, we were planted together with Christ. That's what the King James says. The New International says, if we have been united with him, like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. So now he wants to show that the same thing that happened when we were baptized into Christ happened when we were, uh, when we were uh, raised with him as well. His death, his resurrection becomes ours. And the best way of looking at that is to see what it means is that we are grafted into the experiences of Christ. We are grafted into the death of Christ we are grafted into the burial of Christ. We are grafted into the resurrection of Christ. Now, a grafting means that we take the life of that thing into which we are grafted. And that's what he's saying. We take in on the effects of the death of Christ. We take on the effects of the burial of Christ. We take on the effects of the resurrection. It becomes ours. It's a part of ours. It isn't external. It isn't only a doctrine and not only belief. It's an actual experience. As I say, this is the truth that the only the Holy Spirit can really bring home to our hearts. And it can transform your life. It really can. Whereas the concept of being baptized into Christ presented the idea of being placed into a different environment and taking on the characteristics of that environment, the concept of being planted or grafted into a living plant gives the idea of sharing the very life and nature of the plant. In actuality, the graft becomes a part of the tree. Everything that is true of the, true, the tree is true of, the, of that which is grafted into it. That's what Paul is saying. We experience the death of Christ. We experience the burial of Christ. We experience the resurrection of Christ. We are in Christ. Therefore, what happened to him happened to us. We actually become a part of him as far as God is concerned. He sees us in Christ. When he died, we died. When he was buried, we were buried. When he was raised, we were raised. We share in those experiences and their results as much as Christ did on the cross. I see to say that, you know, it's easy. But when you say, you're talking about me as well. Christ died means Alan died. Christ is buried means Alan is buried. Christ is raised means Alan is raised. And that's true of each one of you. You see what I'm saying? 
So that means we should be living right now in the same sphere of victory that Jesus Christ himself experienced. You see? We don't have to grow into victory. We are already into victory. We just have to possess it. We just have to apprehend it. You see, that's what he's saying. Here's an important thing. Christ not only died for us, he died as us. Now, you should write that down. You see, he didn't only die for us. He died as us. You see, and that's the part that has to do with victory and triumph over sin. You see, all right? The reason for the death of Christ, to free us from the power of the sinful nature inherited from Adam. Notice what it says. For we know that the old self was crucified with him. So that, now notice that, this is the reason why the old self was killed, was crucified. So that the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now it's important. If we believe that Christ died, then we have to believe also that we have been set free from the power of sin. This passage must be understood in its context if we are going to understand the true biblical meaning of the old man or the old self. Now, this is a teaching again. We could spend a whole semester just talking about what is the old man, what is the old self. Uh, you know, we talk about how um, old nature, we talk about two dogs fighting in us, you know, the more one you feed, going to win and all that kind of a stuff, you know. I think sometimes that gets us away from the truth of the word here. So let's look at it. Paul is going to, Paul is now applying in a practical way what he has just taught in the verses above when he contrasted and compared Christ with Adam. Remember in chapter 5 he talks about Adam, the head of the fallen race. When the last Adam Christ came, he became head of a new race, a new race that is headed by himself. All right, and he's saying now that those two races are in, in, in opposition to one another. You cannot be uh, under, a part of the old race under Adam and also a part of the new race under Christ. All right, the old man, now, now, please, we, let's get this carefully, don't go over this too fast. The old man or old self is all that we were as a result of Adam's sin. See, normally if I were to ask you a question, who's the old man, what would you say? The sinful nature or the old nature? You see, when we say that though, we only, we are saying that uh, the old self is only a part of a person, isn't a whole, is only a nature, of, you know what I'm saying? Is only a characteristic. But, what we're saying is here, the old self is all that we were. Nature, body, everything else. Everything that we were under Adam without Christ is the old self. It isn't just a part of that. It isn't just a nature. You see, it's the whole person. You understand what I'm saying? It's the whole person. The new man or new self is all that we are as a result of our being baptized or grafted into the last Adam, Christ, when we place faith in Christ. We become a new what? Creation. We don't become a part of a new creation. We don't, it's not only our nature that has changed, the whole person is changed. Our whole relationship to God is changed. Everything is changed. All things are passed away. That means all things under Adam. All things have become new under the last Adam, Jesus Christ. Now you've got to grasp this. You see, this is important. We are new. We are different. This is sometimes when you wish you could hit, you know, it goes in so we all understand. You know, you know. But that's when you try to do the work of the Spirit. So I better go on. Paul says this old man was crucified when Christ was crucified. A lot of people are still trying to kill the old man. Yeah, we hear the trouble, you gotta kill this, you gotta kill that, and so on. How you can kill what is already dead? 
You see, it's a historical fact that we died with Christ. So we died with Christ. If the old self died with Christ, how are we going to kill it? For him, aha. This old man was crucified when Christ. How? By our being baptized or grafted into him by the divine action of God himself. In other words, it's God who killed him. Killed him through the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Now, if God kills someone, that person is dead. Isn't that right? I mean, he's dead, dead. From our perspective, this was retroactive. In other words, when we accept Christ, based on what happened then, it becomes ours. God points, from God's point of view, though, it happened to us when it happened to Christ. That's why God sees us where? In Christ. Now, notice again, this is a past act. This is a historical fact, a finished transaction. The old self has been crucified. It's not shall be crucified or must be crucified. It is something that God did in Christ, not something we must do to ourselves in the present or the future. The old self is dead, dead. Okay, Paul says we must know this. By the way, that's why knowing Scripture is so important. This is why doctrine is so important. Living for Christ is based on knowing about Christ. Hmm? Paul says we must know this. We must understand it as a historical fact. It is as true as the fact that Christ died. If we believe that as the basis of our salvation, that Christ died for us, then we should also believe that we died with him. If we believe that he died for us, we must also believe that we died with him. As the basis for our sanctification and victory over sin. Both are entered into by faith. You accept it because God says it. You might not feel it. You might not even see it. But God says it. You must accept it. That's where we come down. In this passage, the old man or old self is seen in its entirety, the whole person. That person, positionally speaking, has been crucified with Christ. However, Paul also refers to the ways or characteristics of the old man in two other passages outside of Romans. Now, he's going to talk about the characteristics. And what he's going to try to say is, all right, this is what you are. Therefore, you cannot live like this, the way you were before. Here are some of the characteristics of what you did and what you were before. These things should not be true of you now. You see? No. You cannot live. These are two opposed. You cannot say that you are in fact dead to sin and yet you are continually living in sin. It's impossible. That's what he's trying to make. Those are two incompatible positions. You cannot have both at the same time. One or the other. Pardon? Exactly. That's what it is. That's exactly what it is. And we're going to move into that in a little while. Ephesians 4 says, please read that for me. Now, what is that saying to you? What, is that, what does that say to you? What is Paul saying here? You were taught, now he's saying that Paul is telling what he taught them, with regard to your form, what you were, in other words, before you became a Christian. Put off that old self. Now notice, put off, he's talking about the characteristics, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires. The teaching of the New Testament is that the old Adam is slowly dying away. The body is dying. It's going to be renewed. 
all the old attitudes and desires we have, they're dying. Paul is saying what should be coming alive is what? New desires, new attitudes. That's why he says to be made new in the attitude of your minds. Remember what he says, you come into Romans 12, he can say, be transformed, how? By the renewing of your minds. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. If we believe that we are truly dead to sin, the power and influence of sin, if we truly believe that, we're going to live like that. We're not going to say, oh, well, you know, we're all human. You ever hear that? People sin, they cuss, they do all this, they steal, well, you know, we all human. That's no excuse. That's no excuse. You see. Put on the new self. Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Colossians 3.9 Do not hear some of the old things. Do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices. See, you talking about practices. And have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. It's something that's going on and on. We're being transformed into the image of Christ. We're going from glory to glory, from glory to glory. That's why I say to you, if you look at your life in 2011 and you don't see any difference than you were in 2010, you better check up. Some people don't like me to say, I say that too often about people. Well, I'm sorry, that's what the scripture teaches. You see? I am really too tired of people using all kind of excuses for remaining in sin. I believe that a lot of them who are doing that are do know Christ at all. They have not been born again. You see? The two are incompatible. You see? There's got to be a transformation. There's got to be a sense of victory and triumph in the life of the believer. That's why one of the things that truly... Uh, uh, marks a Christian is problems, difficulties, and trials. It's how that person stands in them to show if they are truly related to Jesus Christ. If you're going to respond, if I'm going to respond the same way the unbeliever, the unsaved does, then why should I be a Christian? Why should you become a Christian? You see the point? The same problems and trials that come our way comes the way of other unbelievers. We should respond differently. We should respond triumph and victory. That's what he's saying here. These verses refer to what the Christian is to do in light of the fact that the old self has been crucified with Christ. We are to put off his characteristics and put on the characteristics of the new man. In other words, our practices, what we do, what characterizes us as believers, should be quite different from what we did and what characterized us as sinners when we were under Adam's curse. That's exactly what Paul says is a reason for the crucifixion of the old man in verse 6. Read that for me, please. Now, please look at that. If this is not true, we should no longer be slaves to sin, if that is not true in our life, then we cannot say that the old self is crucified. Why? Because the old self was crucified so that we should not be slaves of sin. You understand what I'm saying? The two cannot be right. Because anyone who has died has been freed from the power, the dominion of sin. You cannot live here. Well, I should put it like this. You can't be dead and alive at the same time. You can't be dead to sin and alive to it at the same time. That's what he's saying. The reason for this death is to free us. Now this is the important part. The body of sin is the term Paul uses to describe the instrument or means for carrying out the directives to sin as given by the old self. In other words, the old Adam, what we were under the old Adam, the first Adam, under sin, all right? Um, we had what Paul calls a body of sin. The, 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 the master sin, that's how Paul personifies it, used to give orders to the members of this body. Hand, steel, mouth, 
curse. Eyes commit uh, pornography. You, you know what I'm saying? He gives command and, the, oh, and they did it. Whatever it commanded, he did it. Alright? Paul says, now, hey, I got to change. That body, which was once given over to sin, must now be given over to righteousness and holiness. What command you should listen to now is only, hey, hands do not sin. Eyes do not commit You understand what I'm saying? Those are the commands we listen to. We don't have to obey this other command. We don't have to. That's what he's saying here. Paul says that we must understand that the crucifixion of the old self nullified or short-circuited the means of sinning with its source. See, the only way that light, that camera can have power is because it's connected to a source. Isn't that right? If you disconnect that, no matter how much you hit it, no matter how much you shake it, there ain't going to be no light. Right or wrong? When we accepted Jesus Christ as our sins, the plug, the, the, the line was unplugged from Satan's power. It was unplugged. The only way that we could do what Satan tells us to do is if we plug it in ourselves. You see? And to do that, we gotta unplug it from the Holy Spirit, as it were. We gotta unplug it from the new self and plug it in over here. Because it's a different source of power. It's a different voltage, if you want. It's a different source altogether. You understand what I'm saying? And it's what we do. You talk about what we do. You see? Believe it or not, you better come to, uh, uh, tell us to get into this. The only people who has a choice as to whether they can sin or not sin is the Christian. You understand what I'm saying? That's the only person who can make a choice. The person who does not Christ cannot choose not to sin. You see? Because it's sin by nature. Paul says that we must understand the crucifixion of the old self nullified or short-circuited the means of sinning with its source. As far as the believer is concerned, the body of sin is as dead as the old self itself. They both go together. The believer does not have to be subject to either any longer. That's a glorious truth. Please pray that God will cause us to understand it and to act on it. Notice now, we do not have to be subject or be slaves to sin any longer. Because anyone who, that's why, you know, I believe that we should, if we do it, remember our, the day we were saved and call it Emancipation Day. That's true. Emancipation from the power, from the slavery of sin. Because that's what it is. And if the sun makes you free, you're free indeed. Anyone who has died has been freed from sin. A dead person cannot respond to stimuli any longer. And since we have died to sin in Christ, we cannot and must not respond to sinful stimuli. Now, of course, none of us feel that we are dead, especially to sin, right? In fact, most of us feel that we are quite alive to sin. But that's exactly Paul's point. Our feelings have nothing to do with this truth. All we have to do is believe it regardless as to how we feel. Because we're not talking about our feelings. We're talking about facts that God accomplished. You see? Even though we may not feel it, we still have to believe it's true because God says it. This truth is addressed to faith as much as the truth that Christ died for us. God says it, that should settle it. The assurance of our salvation is not based upon our, how we feel. You see, if the assurance of salvation was based upon how we feel, none of us really will ever be assured of our salvation. Right or wrong? That's right. But it's based... You see, our security is not based upon what we do. It's based upon what God did and does. Our assurance based upon what we do, study, believe, and so on. 
But the security rests upon God. All right? The assurance of our salvation is not based upon how we feel, but upon the word of God, what God says. So it is with our being dead to the power or control of sin over us. God says it, that should settle it. We believe it in spite of our feelings. You see? Now, here's the results of our death with Christ. We also share in his resurrection power and victory over sin. First, in verses 8 through 10, our union with Christ in his death unites us also with him in his resurrection. Please read those verses for me. This is a glorious passage of Scripture. Notice, the death he died, he died to sin once for all. That's true of us. And notice this, the life he lives, he lives to God. That's the life we should be living. That's why in 2 Corinthians he says that um, um, we should live for the one who died for us. The reason why Christ died was that we should live for him. I think that's Second Corinthians 5.14. Alright? The reason why Christ died for us is that we should live for him. The life that we now live should be lived for him and not for ourselves. You see? This is what this is teaching here. Even as Christ now lives only for the purpose of pleasing God, so the believer must now show the believer must know that his new life is to be lived only for the purpose of pleasing and glorifying God. He lives to serve God, not the old master, sin. Paul says you've got to know this. You've got to accept it. Secondly, we must count this to be a fact and live accordingly. Read verse 11, please. Now notice this. In the same way, same way of what? You go back to the verse. There it goes. Now, if we died with Christ, did we? Yes. We believe that we'll also live with him. For we know that since Christ is raised from the dead, he cannot die again. That's the truth. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. The life he lives, he lives to God. Believe that. Understand that to be true. That is, all those things are facts. Alright? Now he says, in the same way as those things are facts, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Dead. And he said, dead to the sin, it means to the mastery, the power of sin, but alive to the the dominion, the mastery of God in our lives in Christ Jesus. Now, the words reckon, this is where it comes in the King James show, reckon yourselves to be dead. It means to account, to compute to, to take into account. It's an accounting term, which means, in essence, to regard as a fact. Here, it simply means to believe what God has said and act or live your life on that basis. I give you an illustration here. An accountant pays checks amounting to $5,000, even though the books indicate that the company has only $500. All right? You go to the books, the company has $500. But this man, accountant, is writing checks for $5,000. Why? He's writing the checks on the basis that the bank manager has just agreed to extend a loan in the amount of the total salary and was computed or accounted to the business bank account. It's already... Accounted, although it might not be seen yet, it has already been reckoned. You see the point? So he is writing that check as though the money is there. See? Now, suppose the accountant refuses to give out the paychecks to employees because as far as he's concerned, the book show that the money isn't there. What would he be doing? He'd be failing to reckon or to take into account the fact that adequate provision has been made to cover the payroll. Not only that, he would be disregarding or not believing the word of his employer or banker. That's the same thing true with us. 
if we don't accept this as a fact and we live our life on the basis of victory, the credit that was given to us because of the resurrection of Christ, we are saying, hey, uh, the resurrection of Christ wasn't what it said it was. It doesn't have the power that the Bible says it has. You see, we are to count it as a fact, even though we might not feel it. The consequence of the resurrection of Christ for believers, it provides the basis for the believer's victory over sin in practice. Physically, we do not have to allow our bodies to commit sinful actions. Verse 12 says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you may obey its evil desires. Now you're talking about our responsibility. Here is where our responsibility comes in. Do not let sin reign in our mortal bodies so that you obey. You see, if it does happen, we allow it to happen. You see, this is something we have control over. God is not responsible for doing this. We are. And because of the fact that our old self is dead and the body of sin is deactivated, we do not have to give in to the lingering remnants of the sin principle that does not, does not really realize it's dead. See, a lot of Christians go around not realizing that we're dead to the influence of sin. You know, I, I've given this illustration before about the guy who was selling turtle down in the fish market. And the tourist was looking at this turtle, you know, and somebody came to buy the turtle and so this fisherman came with his big knife and he cut the head of the turtle right off. That turtle still walking all over the place. So the two said, how could this be? You, the head is here and the turtle still walking. And the fisherman said, he dead, but he don't know it. You see? He dead, but he, he's acting as though he is alive. You see? Some of, the re some of the things that are still there in his body, you see. That's how many Christians are living, you see. They still maintain some of these impulses, not realizing that they're dead to it. They don't have to respond to it, you see. That's what we're saying here. First Corinthians 9, read, read this please. Everyone... passage I want to see is where Paul says, I beat my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified or the prize. Notice Paul says that he keeps the body, the, what we call the, 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 the selfish or the, the fleshly part down. He, he uh, does it on a daily, ongoing basis. This is something we do. You see? This is something we... But we do it in the strength of the resurrected Christ, is the, is the point. Morally, that's physically. Morally, we do not have to choose to serve evil. We can choose to serve righteousness. Verse 13 says, Do not offer the parts of your body to sin. Now notice, what he's implying is that every time we sin with our bodies, we offer that. It's like a sacrificial offering. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin, the master, as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. You see what he's saying now? In the old self, the old Adam, we presented our hands our feet, our, all our faculties to commit sin. He said, now that as a new man, you still have that body, you still have those hands, those feet, those eyes, everything else. You haven't lost them. What are you supposed to do with them now? Now you present them to do acts of righteousness. And this word here is an ongoing thing. You want to do it on an ongoing basis. You see, as I mentioned before, this is a ritual I have every morning. Before I put my feet on the ground, I literally outstretch and I do like this. I say, now, Lord, 
I present to you the members of my body to be used for your glory only. This is what he's been commanded to do. You see? And we must do it. If we really understand and believe that we can live a life of holiness and righteousness for the glory of God. We do not have to go on sinning, is what he's saying. Negatively, we must not go on offering our bodies as instruments of sin, but rather positively, we are to offer our bodies to God as instruments of righteousness. In other words, to do his will. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. But notice now, you cannot resist the devil until you what? Submit yourself to God. Once you submit yourself to the power and the presence of God in your life, you can resist the devil successfully. You see, whenever I read this passage, remember the sons of Sceva. Sceva. What is Sceva? When they try to cast out the demons, you know. And what the demon says, Paul I know, Peter I know, but I know you all. And he beat them up. He beat them up. You see? Because these people did not submit themselves to God. They cannot resist the devil. But when you submit yourselves to God, no matter how the devil comes at you, you can overcome him. Why? Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Be on the victory side, man. See? Practically speaking, we must live in obedience to the word of God. Under grace, we serve a new master. We must live our lives accordingly. Verse 14 says, For sin shall not be your master. Why? You are not un because you're not under law, but under grace. See, under law has the idea that you have to do things to please God, to honor God, and all of that type of a thing. You're under grace. Now, that's a whole new thing. This is another one could take a whole semester to talk about the difference of being under the law and under grace. But we just named some of them. This is a summary and repetition of all that he has been saying. We live the victorious life over sin by drawing upon the grace of God into which we have been placed because of faith in Christ. Oh, the grace of God. See, many times you only look at the grace of God to save us. But the grace of God also empowers us to give us victory over sin. There's saving grace. There's enabling grace. When you read Corinthians concerning giving, about grace giving, it's grace that enables us to give sacrificially. It's grace that enables us to give liberally. It's grace that allows us to give laughingly. You see, it's grace that enables. That's what he's talking about here, enabling grace. Under grace and Christ, we have a different attitude towards liberty. Verse 15 says, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? And he says, well, if we're not under law, that means we don't have to, we don't have to obey what he says, don't do this, don't do that. Paul says, by no means. We cannot use our freedom as a license to sin. All right? Under grace, we know the difference between our old and new masters. Verse 16 says, don't you know? Notice that word again. When you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. We're slaves to the one that we obey. You see? Under grace, we have been led to make the right choice of masters. We must now live out that in practice. Please read verses 17 and 18. He's repeating the same thing. They get the same body we had before we became saved, but now this body is to be given over to righteousness. Wonderful passage here again. Five, theologically, 
life under the power of the old self led to death. Life in the new self leads to eternal life. Now here he's talking about a way of life. Not just looking at one or two instances, but he's talking about a lifestyle, a way of life. He says, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. Free here means that you were not slaves or, or, or under the control, the master of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. That's the old Adam. But now that you've been set free from sin under the last Adam and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's talking about a whole way of life and the reward is that will come as a result of how we live our lives. Now, he's also underlining the fact that all of us have masters. And in, in, from Paul's perspective right now, it's either God or sin. God or sin. The one you obey is your master. The one you obey is your master. Is what he's saying. Okay, let me stop there. Boy, that's good stuff, hey?